Welcome to Alcohol Across America with your host, Dr. Brad Crever, along with a weekly panel of co-hosts. Our program examines the impact of beverage alcohol on public health and safety, the nation's economy, and American culture. Each week, we discuss current trends and issues. Now, here is your host, Dr. Brad Crever. Welcome to Alcohol Across America. I'm Brad Crever, your host. Each week, Alcohol Across America looks at one major aspect of alcohol's impact upon America, its culture, and its economy. Once each month, uh, Alcohol Across America examines the changing alcohol industry itself and all the new products that are emerging. Secondly, alcohol's impact upon the community, both positively and negatively. Uh, a third topic will be visiting once every month is college drinking, the issue that seems never, ever to go away. And this week, uh, as we'll be doing once every month, we're going to be looking at alcohol's impact upon individual health and safety, and by extension, upon societal health and safety. Our co-host for these monthly examinations of alcohol's impact upon the health and well-being of Americans is Charles Curry, a responsible retailing forum board member and the former administrator during the George W. Bush administration of SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, the federal agency which oversees the distribution and appropriate use of monies to all the 50 states and territories for sub alcohol and substance abuse prevention and treatment. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing great, Brad. Uh, it's great to be with you this afternoon on Alcohol Across America. Tell us about today's show. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me to co-host today as we kick off our first show that focuses on the area of alcohol and health. Uh, in fact, as you indicated, each month we will be doing uh, a show, and it's going to be a total of three shows, on alcohol and health, each exploring a different aspect on alcohol's impact on one's health and one's safety. Uh, topics in the future shows uh, that we have will include uh, what are the health risks of alcohol use, in particular chronic heavy drinking or binge drinking, and what impact does alcohol misuse and overuse have on the functioning of the brain? Can alcohol be part of a healthy diet? And what are the dietary guidelines concerning alcohol consumption? And what's considered moderate drinking versus binge drinking versus heavy drinking? And, and lastly, what does the research tell us about any health benefits of alcohol? And we'll also, on, on one of the shows, be uh, considering the latest science on alcohol dependence as a brain disease and effective medically-based treatments that are available that are showing positive, more predictable results in addressing what's been considered a chronic relapsing disease. Uh, today, uh, our focus is going to be in the area of prevention, uh, preventing alcohol misuse and overuse. And we're pleased to have with us today, Ralph Blackman, who is the uh, CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility. Uh, Ralph is not only CEO, but he's also an expert in the area of prevention. Welcome, Ralph, and thank you for being with us this afternoon. Thanks, Charlie. I'm glad to be here. Um, the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility has a very interesting and specific mission statement, which can be found on your website, responsibility.org. Uh, that statement reads, uh, the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, or responsibility.org, leads the fight to eliminate drunk driving and underage drinking and promotes responsible decision-making regarding beverage alcohol. 
Um, I should also note that uh, I have the privilege of participating on your National Advisory Board, but I know that there may be uh, listeners for the first time becoming acquainted with the foundation. And uh, so what are what are the top four or five facts you want to make sure people take away regarding uh, the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, its history and its work? Uh, well, thanks for having me. I think uh, first and foremost, um, uh, the organization's been around for more than 25 years now. So... Uh, while it seems as if we've uh, set uh, a, a, a perhaps unreachable goal, I think overall our organization's mission and the work that we do to try and reach that mission uh, has uh, made us one of, uh, again, the foremost organizations in our field. Uh, we were founded about uh, 25 years ago, and as you said, uh, with the goal of eliminating drunk driving and underage drinking, but at the same time, encouraging responsible decision-making about alcohol, and that's very important to, to have those things together. Uh, the organization is funded by America's Leading Distillers. Uh, we're the uh, organization uh, that the spirits industry has come together to support, um, thereby linking efforts um, among the global companies here uh, in the U.S., uh, that provide us with our funds and provide us with our direction, uh, but at the same time are a uh, step removed, if you will, uh, from much of the program development and much of the research that we do as it results in learning more about uh, youth and parents and, and underage drinking. Uh, about 2014, uh, uh, we changed our name to... Uh, the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility or Responsibility.org. Some of the listeners uh, out there may know us as the Century Council, uh, and uh, we built our reputation uh, uh, under that moniker. Uh, but as uh, the Internet changed the world, um, we were looking for something that I think uh, allowed people out around the world and in this country specifically to really be able to access our resources. And so... I think over those last 25 years, we've uh, transformed countless lives through our programs and our campaigns um, that bring individuals and families and communities together to guide a lifetime of conversations around alcohol responsibility. And at the same time, we offer proven strategies to stop impaired driving. Well, along those lines, Ralph, um, eliminating underage drinking is specifically mentioned in your mission. Uh, underage drinking is viewed by many as a problem that has persisted from generation to generation. Perhaps it could be accurately described as an intractable problem. Um, what impact does alcohol consumption have on youth, and, and what does the science tell us about why it's important to prevent young people from drinking alcohol? Well, I think it's important to note that uh, as you say, I, I guess we might call it a persistent problem. Um, uh, we have a, a bold and assertive mission to eliminate underage drinking, and, and for us that means um, being creative and being innovative and working as hard as we can uh, in the face of what, at least over the last 25 years or so, are actually promising numbers. Uh, according to the 2015 National Survey on Drug Use and, and Health, among teens, reported rates of past month consumption, binge drinking, and heavy alcohol consumption have all declined over the past 10 years. Uh, and according to the 2016 Monitoring the Future study, uh, also um, cr uh, created and administered by the federal government, uh, 
uh, alcohol consumption continues to show significant decreases among 8th grade, 10th grade, and 12th graders, which are the three grades um, measured both in terms of, again, lifetime, uh, annual, uh, and past months. They're down to their lowest levels ever. So progress has been made, um, but that said, um, there's always work to be done because uh, I think, uh, uh, as we like to say in our, on the program side of the house, kids and alcohol don't mix. Um, and it's important um, that both uh, youth as well as parents and, and for that matter, teachers, uh, understand that the negative consequences of underage drinking um, can range from um, uh, a- academic issues uh, to behavioral issues um, to uh, criminal issues as well as, uh, as unfortunately, the tragedies of, of, of overdose and death. Well, in, well, in your opinion, Ralph, uh, as you talk about the last 10 years and along the rates of underage drinking, uh, what's contributed to that? What, what are some of the factors? Uh, obviously, there are many organizations and entities that have worked in this area in an aligned way in terms of trying to uh, prevent and uh, uh, eliminate, reduce underage drinking. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the contributing factors to this uh, decline? Uh, well, Charlie, you make a good point. I think one of the contributing factors in the decline is, has really been a grassroots uh, emphasis uh, on not only identifying the problem but coming up with creative solutions. And I say grassroots defined as as while the government is out there as a partner and in, and in many uh, communities a funder, uh, community coalitions, um, community organizations, national organizations like our own, um, even if we approach the problem from a different perspective, all have the same goal in mind. Uh, we've looked very closely at, at different influences um, in kids' decisions to drink or not to drink, uh, and very importantly note that uh, according to the Roper Youth Report, which has now been um, consistently done over the last 20 years or so, uh, parents are the leading influence in teens' decisions to drink or not to drink, and in fact, their influence has increased 25% over the last um, uh, 20 or 25 years or so. Uh, so we continue to to provide an opportunity for parents to do the right thing. I think it's very important to note in our own research that uh, the number of young people who report discussing the dangers of underage drinking with their parents has increased 73% over almost the last 15 years, and during that time, underage drinking among eighth graders has actually declined 67%. So um, we, we like to, to believe that we're seeing those national results uh, as we're giving parents the tools and the opportunities to talk to their kids about underage drinking, as the data suggests that they're uh, an influence that's uh, uh, very important to youth development. Well, that, that's very interesting because, uh, as as I've spoken to parents, and I, I know Ralph, you speak not only as an expert, as a preventionist in the field, but as a parent yourself. Uh, uh, many parents uh, they have some trepidation to to uh, thinking about discussing alcohol with their child or with their teen, especially if they drank as youth. Uh, many times I've heard uh, they they feel like they wouldn't have the credibility, or they're hypocritical, or the child could say, "Well, look, you turned out okay, so what's the big deal?" Um, 
what would you have to say to, to parents? Can you give us four or five tips parents should keep in mind, especially if they have a hesitation, since the data you shared is so compelling that the uh, parental influence is such an important protective factor that really works. Uh, what are four or five points or tips you would give parents in terms of how they engage their children or some things they should keep in mind? Well, I think it's important to know that, you know, again, about two-thirds of 13- to 17-year-olds identify their parents as the leading influence in their decisions. So how parents exert that influence, I think, is really the most important thing. Um, there are a couple of ways to um, uh, to go about that, and, um, you know, I, I, I want to go into that further. Oh, go ahead. Well, number one, I think it's important for parents to be honest. Uh, you know what? Uh, you have to explain uh, what your own experiences may have been, but really explain what those experiences have taught you. Uh, we think that this builds trust uh, and gives the kids the confidence to come back to you in the future. Number two, as adults, uh, model responsible behavior. Uh, whether you know or you don't know or whether you're used to what we call the eye roll, the reality is that your kids are watching you and they're listening and you are the greatest influence in this decision. So are you, are uh, you saying there, Ralph, are you saying there then that even if they don't feel the love, that shouldn't stop them from understanding that they are truly an, an influence? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think what, we're, what we see is that even as they walk out of the room, even as they roll their eyes, even as they, they say you're old-fashioned and, and, and you don't know what they're going through, the reality is that they're listening. Uh, and so giving up on that opportunity and not taking advantage of it is, is moving in the wrong direction. Uh, we think you should start early with that conversation. The reality is conversations transition naturally as kids get older. So uh, we suggest that even kids as young as six and seven, when they say, gee, mommy or dad, uh, what, can I get a, have a sip of that? You should start that conversation then and tell them why they can't, as opposed to saying, oh, no, 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 this is for me, this isn't for you, and, and push them away. They just opened that door. You've got to run through that door and make a good first start. And I think Very lastly, Charlie, I think it's really important for parents to know that there are resources out there. We have resources like our Ask, Listen, Learn program or our Talk Early materials, SAMHSA, uh, that was referred to earlier, has great materials for parents. So even if parents aren't quite confident to have that conversation, they should prepare themselves and, and, and reach out and take a look at the materials that are out there, you know, which I think are, are ultimately so important. Well, that's very good. So two resources here. We talk about uh, SAMHSA.gov, which uh, does have a, a range of resources and, and will also help empower and educate parents on how to converse with their their children, as well as then responsibility.org. People can find information from your website. Uh, yes, that's absolutely right. And I, and I think as uh, people look online, uh, they'll find resources in their own community, whether that's a local community coalition, um, whether that's their local government or their community. Uh, we know from our research that most people look at the harms associated uh, with alcohol misuse and believe that personal responsibility is, is, is the place to start to address those concerns, uh, and the local community is after that. So I think that's a very important thing for, for adults not to, 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 yeah. to not have the conversation because they're not sure how to have it. 
Absolutely. Uh, as you said, there's also community anti-drug coalitions, CATCA, and they have information as well. Well, That's thanks, correct. Ralph, for those tips for parents. It's time for us to take a short break. Uh, this is Charlie Curie along with Alcohol Across America host Brad Crever on Voice America Business Channel. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Ralph Blackman, CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility. We'll take a look at what's happening in the area of preventing drunk driving. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners, or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now back to Alcohol Across America. Welcome back to our show, Alcohol Across America. And I'm Charles Curie, co-host with our host, Brad Crever. And uh, we're continuing our conversation today with Ralph Blackman, CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, as we focus on the prevention of alcohol misuse and overuse. The last segment, we discussed the prevention of underage drinking. 
But the foundation, and it's mentioned in its mission, it, your work also includes efforts to reduce and eliminate drunk driving. Uh, what does the data tell us about the progress that's been made in that area, if any, including the rates of alcohol-related traffic fatalities? Well, the, the data is compelling. Um, number one, over the long term, this nation has made great strides in eliminating drunk driving. From 1991, when we were formed to 2015, drunk driving fatalities decreased by 35% uh, and by 65% among youth under the 21-year-old legal drinking age. But unfortunately, um, 2015 saw the number of people who died on our nation's roadways increase uh, by 7%. That's the largest single-year increase in 50 years. And so... Uh, we're very concerned about that, very concerned about about how to approach that, and worried that the 2016 numbers will show a little bit of an uptick at the same time. Well, you know, it's interesting because we all know that one year does not a trend make, but 7% is fairly significant and hard to, uh, hard to ignore. Uh, I'm curious, you know, there, there's been such a reduction over uh, the, the previous quarter of a century, really, in the areas you described. Uh, what were the factors you think contributing to that decline? I know that there were many efforts on the part of organizations like MAD and SAD and, and, and again, aligned messages at various levels, uh, and, and also law enforcement played a significant role as well. Uh, but what would you say were, were, were the most pertinent factors in bringing the, the rates down of alcohol-related traffic fatalities? And then um, I'd be curious to talk about what this uptick, of what could be behind this uptick, and what do we need to be doing about it? Uh, yes, it's a, it's, it's a very complicated issue where we've really tried to parse out uh, different data to get uh, ourselves to understand the problem, to be able to address the problem. You know, the reality is that um, uh, drunk driving fatalities have declined faster than overall traffic fatalities. But again, everything has moved up over the last, uh, in the 2015 data. Uh, and, you know, the, the experts will say that about 94% of the fatalities on the road are really due to human factors. Um, that's uh, drunk driving, uh, that's drugged driving, distracted, drowsy, speeding, you know, things that people do uh, or are attentive or not attentive behind the wheel that have in many ways contributed uh, to these numbers going up, um, both among alcohol as well as as other forms of impaired driving. Uh, at the same time, if you look at the economic cycles of this country, uh, you also find that uh, when you look at vehicle miles traveled, uh, that f- traffic fatalities tend to increase as there are more vehicles on the road and more people on the road and more miles traveled. And so... As the economy improved in 2011 and 12 and 13, we then started to see this uptick in vehicle miles travel uh, that then seemed to go along with things like lower gas prices, uh, unemployment that was on the way down, even weather. Uh, if you look across the uh, many years, we find that uh, uh, weather is warmer and that uh, fatalities. Uh, more fatalities tend to occur, uh, again, when, when people are out, when people have money in their pockets, and when more people are in their vehicles. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this it's interesting. There probably is no coincidence that with the increased use of texting and and uh, uh, cell phones and iPhones, uh, the distracted driving issue. Uh, how how challenging how challenging is that to uh, sort that out? Well, there are a number of things that are challenging here. Uh, number one, if you look at uh, the government's roadside survey for weekend nighttime drivers. You find only about one and a half percent of drivers are over the legal limit for alcohol, but you're you're seeing 22 and a half percent of drivers reporting that they've consumed some drugs, whether that's marijuana, prescription drugs, or other illegal drugs. Uh, distracted driving is even more complicated because um, it could be something in your lap, it could be the car radio, it could be other people in the car. It can be what we normally see when we're all out on the road, which is somebody texting or talking on the phone. That lack of attention not only causes minor fender benders, but it causes crashes and causes fatalities. So it's a, it's a very complicated factor. I think, you know, we've looked at uh, how do we address these different issues uh, that all require, we think, a, a little bit of a different solution. And right now, for instance, on drug-impaired driving, uh, there's really no roadside test. There's no breathalyzer. There's not even a scientific consensus around what the blood alcohol limit ought to be when it comes to marijuana. So you're seeing uh, laws being liberalized. You're seeing more consumers consume cannabis in different manners, but the traffic safety community has not really kept up with what do we do about those impaired drivers. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in thinking about the uh, alcohol-related traffic fatalities then, um, what more needs to be done from your perspective, from a public policy or, or legal uh, perspective to um, address uh, the alcohol-related traffic fatality issue and, and, and that downward trend over the past quarter of a century, hopefully continue it in that area? Well, specifically to alcohol-impaired driving, I, I think we have to understand that there, there is a core problem. The uh, culture in this country has changed over the past 25 years or 35 years, uh, to which, you know, much, much at, the, uh, uh, at the hands of Mothers Against Drunk Driving that really forced a cultural shift in this country uh, that made drunk driving really not uh, something that was commonplace and expected, uh, but something that can't be tolerated and is dangerous and, and often ends in tragedy. There is a core problem out there, though, and, and that, that is the repeat drunk driver. Uh, very often with a BAC of 0.15 or above, that's twice the legal limit. And so it, it's, it's important at this stage of, of this issue to really take a comprehensive look uh, at, the, at these DUI offenders so that an effective sentence can be crafted by the courts uh, with the goal of, of breaking the cycle uh, that brings these people and these drivers back into court every few years or so uh, on yet another offense. Uh, we think that the sentence must be a little more holistic, uh, include the use of technology like ignition interlocks or uh, supervised uh, uh, monitoring, uh, court supervision, um, assessment and treatment. Uh, so we have to look at it through the, the eyes of that offender uh, that very often there's, uh, there are issues that are there beyond the alcohol abuse that perhaps brought them into the court setting in the first place. Yeah, here you're talking about individuals that truly have a, a chronic uh, alcohol 
a problem or dependence on alcohol that obviously uh, would need treatment. And and historically, uh, driving under the influence of DUI has been viewed in the context of that. And it's accurate. You know, obviously there are people who who uh, are alcohol dependent and and are the uh, repeat offenders as, as you've described them. And so having a continued focus on that uh, does make a lot of sense. Uh, in recent years, and, and I know you and I have discussed this before, uh, there seems to be more and more of a link between untreated mental illness, such as depression, anxiety, or bipolar disorders, uh, and more serious mental illnesses that are untreated, and people actually are, if you will, self-medicating with alcohol. And, uh, and how does that come up in the DUI situation? And, and what is FAR doing to address that area? Well, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, the, the, the issue often is um, uh, if the average BAC of somebody arrested in a fatal crash is 0.16 or 0.17, these are not people who, who made a mistake and had one drink too many. Uh, these are people who have alcohol abuse or disorders uh, that, that may have had seven or eight or ten drinks too many. Uh, and often what we're finding, we, we uh, 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 went into partnership with Harvard Medical School on this when we looked at some data that they had suggesting that more than 40% of repeat drunk driving offenders exhibited mental health issues like anxiety disorders, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress, um, uh, bipolar, depression, uh, as well as over 40% that also had drug abuse issues, whether that was uh, within the last year or lifetime issues. So uh, uh, siloing out alcohol because alcohol brought them into court uh, doesn't really look at the offender in a way that that begins to identify that person uh, and their needs in order to make sure they don't come back into the system. Uh, the partnership that we developed with Harvard has been uh, just a, an unbelievable success. Uh, Harvard Medical School created a computerized uh, assessment and referral system called CARS, uh, the first of its kind, um, mental health, drug abuse, and alcohol abuse um, uh, assessment that can be done uh, by a trained clinician, can be done by the offender themselves, can be done by an untrained uh, court-appointed uh, um, uh, assessment or intake personnel, uh, all based on algorithms that, that Harvard has tested and validated and tested and validated, and, and frankly, based on a globally validated uh, mental health assessment that was created for the World Health Organization. So I think we're starting to see a widespread uh, adoption of that uh, as it's been launched, and and I think the idea of looking at offenders in a different way and from a different perspective, we certainly hope as time goes on, we'll really look at these intractable characters out there and and try to change their behavior. So so is uh, this cars is is it available to DUI courts right where the decisions are being made and and the problem offender uh, is is making their appearance? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, it's been thoroughly tested in uh, the DWI court setting. Um, it's being used by treatment providers around the country already. It's, it's it was only launched in uh, in June and available free. 
Um, uh, we just uh, sponsored a training uh, in the state of Colorado where uh, some of the representatives from Harvard Medical School went out trained more than 230 treatment providers from across the state and in how to use it, but it's also got a self-screener. Uh, so that means that uh, somebody who presents themselves uh, in an emergency department could literally pick up a tablet um, and fill it out in 15 minutes so that by the time they see a doctor, a doctor now has information at their disposal uh, on a variety of issues uh, that will impact even how they begin to treat that person who's walked in, don't even have to be an offender, uh, that's going to be tested and further validated uh, uh, this coming fall in emergency departments in Arkansas. Very good. Very interesting. You, you, you've been mentioning the use of technology in addressing uh, these uh, alcohol misuse and overuse situations, whether it's underage drinking, whether it's drunk driving. Um, we also, in this day and age, have uh, social media. Uh, and uh, and it's, it seems to be changing continually. And, and what, what do you think about social media? Can it be leveraged? Uh, going back to underage drinking to inform parents, children, teens, and the public on how to reduce underage drinking. Can it be leveraged in the, in the arena of uh, drunk driving and, and driving under the influence? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the role social media can play? Yeah, social media is very important, um, for, uh, both positive and unfortunately uh, negative as well. Um, parents who are active on social media have the perfect opportunity to be where the conversation is. Uh, and, and that's a conversation, conversations that are going on way outside of our ability as a Washington-based uh, organization to be able to reach these people who are out on the Internet. So uh, understanding how that technology um, can be used, serving as role models for their children as they interact both on social media and in their own uh, interpersonal skills are important. But at the same time, uh, we tell parents that alcohol shouldn't be the punchline. Um, it serves no positive purpose uh, to be making jokes, jokes about mommy juice or uh, blaming your kids for the fact that you need a glass of wine at the end of the day. You know, this sends the wrong message that alcohol is necessary to solve daily problems. Uh, that's not the reason to consume if you choose to consume. Uh, I think, lastly, the reality is in this, this day and age, uh, there's nothing wrong with parents taking a little bit of time to monitor and review their, their kids' own social media challenges. Uh, those channels are important in terms of how they communicate with their friends, how they talk about issues, and, and unfortunately can be, uh, or fortunately, I guess, can be early warning signs you know, of problems that haven't quite exhibited themselves yet. Very good. Thank you, Ralph. Well, this is Alcohol Across America on Voice America's business channel with host Brad Trevor and me, Charlie Curie. And we'll continue our discussion after a short break with Ralph Blackman, CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, when we'll wrap things up with an eye to the future of prevention and research. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing. 
and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners, or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now, back to Alcohol Across America. This is Charlie Curie, back with Alcohol Across America, host Brad Crever on Voice America Business Channel as we conclude our conversation today on the prevention of alcohol misuse and overuse with the CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility, Ralph Blackman. Uh, Ralph, uh, the Foundation's been instrumental in establishing a chair at Harvard University uh, to further research and, and learn in the area of preventing alcohol overuse and misuse. In fact, Brad, I believe you were able to attend the event at Harvard that announced the support of this professorship. That's um, right, Charlie. I, I live nearby at by Boston College. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you were able to be there. I wish I could have been there. I heard it was a great event. But Ralph, what are the top three priorities you and your board envision being addressed by this endowed chair? And what do you see as some of the research priorities as we look ahead to the future? Well, I think first it's, uh, it's important to, uh, to the purpose uh, and I think the meaning of, of establishing the chair that we named it after uh, Dr. Morris Chaffetz, who uh, was the first director of uh, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, had been affiliated with Mass General and, uh, and Harvard uh, very early on and was, was clearly a pioneer in looking at alcoholism not as a crime or as a, a personal failing, but as a disease that could be treated. 
Uh, and so that very much that philosophy very much I think informed our uh, mission in terms of supporting Harvard Medical School in that the focus of this would be behavioral sciences. Um, we, uh, there are enough opportunities to look at public policy, public health policy that's out there, whether it's at Harvard or, or, or schools all over the country or all over the world. Um, we, we didn't feel the need or feel that we were uh, acutely the ones to look at the, the medical side, the genetic side, clinical side uh, of alcohol abuse or dependence but we really did want to expand the body of knowledge concerning the personal factors, uh, the influences, as we talked earlier about family influence and parental influence, and about the individual decisions uh, that play a role in the responsible consumption of alcohol. reality is, uh, in this country, uh, the vast majority of people who choose to drink um, uh, do so in a responsible manner, and what influences those decisions? How do they make those decisions? Uh, how, do they, how do they look at the factors that play into that responsible consumption? Uh, and how do we learn more about that as a way to promote that, uh, make it easier and more accessible for people, uh, and, and a better pathway to more responsible behavior? So you're really hoping to have some uh, clear evidence and research findings that could get translated into action, whether that be uh, programs or uh, useful information that uh, the everyday citizen can use. Uh, that's right. I mean, we have spent, uh, for instance, a couple of years looking at uh, parents' responses, um, uh, those who are uh, get most of their information online versus uh, the general public uh, over parenting, over what they talk about with their kids, at what ages do they talk about different things, how often do they talk about these things, again, all based on, on well-accepted data that uh, the more conversations that take place, whether it's about alcohol or, or, or sex or smoking or drug abuse, things like that, the more conversations that take place in that setting, the less likely those young people, those kids, adolescents are to, you know, participating in risk-taking behaviors. So uh, we've always let that sort of inform what we've done. And um, I, I think it's an area that, again, the more comfortable we're se- the, the adults are in discussing these issues, uh, we are seeing those numbers go down. And, and again, there's Unfortunately, still plenty of bad news out there, but but uh, the definite progress has been made. Well, as we begin to uh, wrap up our show, I'd like to turn the uh, show over to uh, our host for Alcohol Across America, Brad Crever. Brad. Thank you, Charlie. Ralph, I'm interested in asking you, uh, much of my own work as a NIH-supported researcher is to look at a very small, specific, manageable question. And I'm somewhat envious of someone like yourself who gets to look at the societal issues and to determine, you know, how best to redeploy resources to try to make some inroads there. So I wanted to ask you first the very general question, Ralph, of how well do you think we as a country are dealing with alcohol issues? Well, I, you know, uh, each, each country uh, presents a challenge uh, based on its culture, based on its history, based on, you know, uh, the, the reality that uh, a country this size, uh, you know, is, a, is an automobile culture. Uh, you know, we like to get into our cars no matter how jammed up we are during 
during rush hour and 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 drive alone, uh, you know, as opposed to you know other forms of public transportation in some areas. So, I, I think um, uh, the United States is probably the leader, certainly in terms of uh, government-supported and funded research in this in this area. Uh, a country our size both presents an opportunity uh, as kind of an incubator. Um, there are a lot of communities doing a lot of things. Um, uh, we are a country where one size doesn't fit all. We found that uh, in our uh, uh, endeavors at the college level where, you know, what might work at, um, you know, a big Midwestern state university of 25, 35,000 kids uh, in a college town may not necessarily work at a, a Boston College or or at a or at a, 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 a urban school, uh, so I think it's yeah, I think it's very positive. At the same time, um, you know we suffer from uh, uh, probably 200 major media markets, uh, and so uh, you know we're not the UK where there is BBC One or BBC Two uh, as a way to get our message out. So. You know, I think it's a drumbeat. I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid I, I may not in my professional career reach our goal of eliminating underage drinking, but I feel good about the progress this country is making. I had spent some time, as I'm sure you have, uh, looking at these issues in, in European nations, and it was really remarkable to me to find that in, in our country, uh, the primary concern about underage drinking is the harm that our, our children are doing to themselves unwittingly. Uh, in, in England, the greatest concern has to do with the physical harm young adult drinkers are are. are inflicting upon other people a kind of clockwork orange where it's the social implications the danger to society that is the greatest concern about underage drinking uh, the differences to me are, are just remarkable are there any countries uh, where you see they're dealing with alcohol in ways you wish we could import here well i think you know again it's it's complicated culturally uh, you know take for instance um uh, the numbers have gone down dramatically in in some countries like uh, in Spain, for instance. But but yet we're starting uh, to see moderate drinking and abstinence um, be the norm. But uh, what what the government's now calling he- heavy episodic drinking, extreme binge drinking, is on the rise. Uh, I think when we look forward, um, not just here but in the UK as well. Uh, I think we'll see that there are populations of extremely irresponsible, extremely dangerous behavior uh, that we're really going to have to look at with a serious eye that may not really be, the, again, the sort of one-size-fits-all solution, um, you know, that, that you know, seems like sometimes easier way out. You know, 20 years ago, a lot of parents would look towards uh, France, for instance, and say, you know, I want to do the same thing they do there. I want to teach my children how to drink. Uh, and we've often pointed to European countries as having a more mature, enlightened way of, of introducing young people to alcohol. But the data really shows that there are serious, serious problems with underage drinking in Europe. And, and they're not the, the beacons we should be modeling ourselves after. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and uh, for instance, um, uh, if you look at the 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 uh, impaired driving side of that, uh, France now requires drivers to carry two breathalyzer kits in their car. Uh, a random roadside stop 
if you're coming back from dinner or out at a you know out at a club or a, or a bar, um, if you're if you're pulled over, the the officer can allow uh, can can mandate that you breathalyze yourself. Uh, even after that use, if you're legal, you still have one in the car in case you're stopped again. Um, you have to have probable cause here. So, so again, uh, the the cultures are different. But you're exactly right uh, that there was there used to be a little bit of a of a Mediterranean view of of consumption in Italy and in Spain, and and you're seeing in urban areas in Spain, you're seeing again uh, this heavy drinking and, and extreme binge drinking. Uh, the reality is we have dinner at dinner hour in the United States, maybe seven, maybe eight. Uh, in Spain, it could be 10 or 11. Uh, those nights go on all night long. So, so you're right. They're, uh, they're, they're seeing overall declines over long periods. But you're, if you look at that data closely, uh, not all is well. Mm-hmm. And this may seem a little off the wall, but I'm trying to ask you, one of the attributes of America is this fierce liberal, libertarian temperament, personal freedom, and being told by anyone, certainly a government, how much to do of anything or when to do or not to, I think has been one of the potential hindrances to more enlightened policy on alcohol responsibility. Is there any way of having that American sort of individualism turned into a positive attribute in, in grappling with problems? Problems of, of driving under the influence. Well, you're you're right about um, that that personal freedom. Um, you know, there are still some states uh, that that have not approved. Um, uh, you know, uh, sobriety checkpoints um, and uh, roadside um, uh, interventions because uh, what happens inside your car is your own. You know, personal responsibility and personal space. We actually ask a question that we've tracked over time. Uh, again, as I said, most Americans look at personal responsibility as the way to address uh, alcohol-related harms, and the federal government, the farther away you get, is the least important in that measure. And so, you know, there, there are issues there. Uh, but I'll tell you, we're, we're starting to look at that in a different way. Uh, we started a, a video campaign called Responsibility Starts With Me, uh, and really what we're out there doing is getting people to begin to talk about what responsibility means to them. Um, uh, is, it, is it a positive? Uh, I'm going to designate a driver. I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to you know, get Uber or Lyft or a ride-sharing service. Or is it negative? I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. What we found in our research was the first thing people had to do was think about it. The second thing they had to do was begin to articulate it. It wasn't until they had done those two things did they ever begin to think about acting on it. And so we want people who um, are uh, of the legal age and have the opportunity, if they choose to drink, to make responsible decisions. But to your point... Uh, there's such a libertarian bent. Uh, there's such a, a, a personal individual philosophy that very often it's, well, you can't tell me what, what that is. And, and even trying to define responsible drinking is very complicated. Hmm. You mentioned before, and Charlie did as well, that some of these problems uh, have been with us, it seems, forever and are, are deeply intractable. Um, Sometimes it seems like our work in public health and prevention is three steps forward and two steps backwards. Yep. Um, 
On your good days, Ralph, where do you think we're going to be 20 years from now with these issues? Uh, I, I think they will be lower. They will be less. I think if you look at the generation that's coming up now, we spend most of our time uh, trying to talk to 9 and 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds because we want them to learn how to make good decisions before they're forced uh, to make them on their own, uh, to have a plan, to have good self-esteem. You know what? We know kids uh, are interested in nutrition now. Uh, We know kids are interested in how their brains and bodies work. That's all a good sign for understanding what those negative consequences are with regard to alcohol and the developing brain. Uh, what those risks are when you add a you know a, a, a couple of ton automobile you know into the equation, and so getting kids off on the right path we think is very positive. Technology will certainly play a role, but I think our society is changing even in terms of uh, siloing alcohol from drugs. Uh, if marijuana is legal across the country 20 years from now, um, how will we deal with responsible uh, marijuana consumption? I just don't know the answer to that. Charlie, any thoughts you want to add before we wrap up? Well, um, Brad, again, I appreciate the opportunity co-host, and I really appreciate, Ralph, uh, you, you coming aboard today and, 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 the, and the conversation discussion we had. I, I think what strikes me is, Uh, more and more as we uh, look for the evidence of what works and we understand uh, how we can bring down uh, rates of underage drinking and drunk driving and and, uh, can can apply those things there's there's really true hope in terms of elimination and elimination may not be as a realist uh, as unrealistic as it might seem in the first place in that mission statement thank you charlie and thank you ralph for joining us as well uh we look forward to your joining us uh, a week from now august 28th when we'll be joined by scott wexler of the empire state restaurant and tavern association and guests who are part of the very quickly changing alcohol industry Thank you for joining us this week for Alcohol Across America. Please join Dr. Brad Crever and another weekly guest expert next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until our next program, be safe and have a great week.